Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. In early February, a series of videos began to go viral in India. So these were images and videos of a line of over a dozen uh, hijab-wearing Muslim students standing in their school courtyard, pleading repeatedly with the school administration to let them attend classes. That's Neha Bhatt. She's an award-winning journalist and author in Delhi and a frequent contributor to the Globe and Mail. You could hear them speak to the officials, their teachers, the principal, telling them that they have exams around the corner, to please let them attend class, not take the right to education away from them. These students were suddenly being denied entry into their school, simply for wearing a hijab. They said that they had been wearing the hijab to school ever since they took admission. It had never really been a problem before. And why was this suddenly happening, especially at a time when they really needed to attend their class so that they could give uh, their exams in March? And as they continued pleading, the officials began to kind of push them out of the school and push the gates, close the gates on them. And then they were forced to actually sit outside the gates on the ground with their notebooks. India is about 80% Hindu, and there have been long-standing tensions between Hindus and Muslims, who make up about 14% of the country's population. And it really made for a very compelling picture that truly showed how this group of girls felt alienated and discriminated while their other classmates walked past them into the school, you know, looking at them with a mixture of pity and anger and, you know, resentment. Today on the show, why these viral videos became an issue across India how this is just the latest in a series of policies targeting Muslims, and why some people are concerned these acts of discrimination could be leading towards genocide. This is The Decibel. Naya, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you spoke with one of the young women who wasn't allowed in school because of her hijab. Who is Aisha Hajira Almas and and why did she file a court petition earlier this year? Aisha is actually an 18-year-old student in the coastal town of Udupi in the southern Indian state of Karnataka. And her story, tied to the story of many other Muslim girls, actually goes back to sometime in December of 2021. Uh, A group of hijab-wearing high school students actually one fine morning were refused entry into their classrooms in the town of Woodby. And the girls, including Aisha, were outraged. Uh, They had heard of their seniors being mistreated and heckled at times for wearing a hijab in recent years, but there had been no official stance against it. So when the teachers and school officials actually told them that if they wanted to attend class, they would have to take their hijab off. They saw it as a sudden and deeply unsettling decision that they believe was an attempt to clamp down on several freedoms, their constitutional rights, 
and effectively put their education in peril. What was the justification that the school gave? Why did the school do this? So the school said that this was a notification that came from the government, but they were not able to actually show proof of this notification to the girls when they asked, which is why they decided to hold a sit-in protest. And this, in fact, went on for the month of January till February. It kind of triggered several other schools in the state to follow suit and deny entry to other Muslim girls wearing the hijab. And finally, the government actually formalized this rule and uh, sent out a notification to educational institutions that religious attire is now banned across uh, school campuses. So it sounds like there's this rule that's come down against religious symbols in general, but really the people who are being targeted here are, are Muslim girls who are wearing the hijab. Is that fair to say? That's right. That's right. Which is why the girls actually decided to fight this in court. And they petitioned the high court in February, saying that the hijab is something that they've been wearing since they were very, very young, preschoolers even. And it was essential to their practice of Islam. And it posed no danger to public order, as claimed by the government. So um, the Karnataka High Court actually ruled in favor of the state and upheld the ban after hearing the petitions in detail. And they concluded that the wearing of hijab by Muslim women does not form an essential religious practice in the Islamic faith. What happens now then? The high court of the state has ruled that way. What's the next step here for Aisha? So now the girls have taken the plea to the Supreme Court where it is pending a hearing and the court has asked for some time to respond. Many of them, in fact, uh, missed taking their exams in March because they were denied entry uh, with the hijab. So the students are basically waiting for the Supreme Court to get back on their plea. They cannot attend class unless they agree to take the hijab off. Maybe let's step back and talk about a little bit of background here. What's the relationship between Hindus and Muslims historically been like in India? So Hindus and Muslims have had a history of conflict. And this was even before the British colonized India. We've had a series of Muslim invaders, and certainly there has been evidence of conflicts back then. And Even after the great bloodshed of the Indian partition when Pakistan was created as a Muslim state in 1947, following that there have of course been blistering episodes of Hindu-Muslim conflict. I'm thinking of the desecration of a mosque in Ayodhya in the state of Uttar Pradesh in 92 and later the riots in Gujarat. In the current political climate of Hindu majoritarianism, There is, again, this simmering resentment between the religious groups. Having said that, Hindus and Muslims have lived very peacefully in certain pockets of the country, been great neighbors, been great friends. And me growing up in in India in the 80s and 90s have never really thought of myself as a Hindu or, or belonging to any other faith. You know, people have just been people. But now this whole idea of religious identity is coming back to the fore. And we see these conflicts rising again. Why is all of this happening now, Neha? So India is, of course, not an isolated case in this sort of leaning towards right-wing sentiments and, uh, you know, becoming an increasingly conservative society. India, of course, is fighting on a Hindu vote, right? It, it is a large vote bank for the government. 
the BJP party is pretty much seen as a Hindu party, a party that is working for the Hindu World Bank. And since 2014, when the BJP came into power at the center, there is, of course, this effort to consolidate that vote across as many states as possible. And though India continues to call itself a democracy and a secular state, with recent reports and the pattern that we've been seeing, it's quite clear that most of it really is a larger narrative that the party is moving forward on. So the state that we're talking about, Karnataka, it's represented by members of the BJP party, with Prime Minister Narendra Modi leading this party. What has he said about this issue of the hijab ban in schools in Karnataka? The, the BJP and and uh, supporters of the government have largely said that this isn't an exclusionary move at all. That uh, recent policies which have um, been seen as uh, alienating Muslims, discriminating Muslims, are not at all what it is made out to be by the media and critics of the government. Uh, they say that this is only a way to uh, instill a uniform dress code and a way uh, in which uh, they would like schools to be free of uh, religious symbols. Uh, So in their mind, this isn't something that is uh, designed to actually uh, discriminate against uh, Muslims at all. And that is the line that they have told uh, whenever any policy that appears to alienate the Muslim community uh, has been criticized by civil society and opposition parties. And so from the view inside India, Neha, when you hear that argument, does that stand up to scrutiny? Well, it depends on who you're talking to, because um, there is absolutely a huge uh, support for the government for all these uh, policies that have been coming out for the last few years. But at the same time, if you talk to liberal progressive experts, you know, just people who believe in the idea of of secular India, you know that that isn't the reality that they see. So India is really at the moment deeply divided on this issue. And of course, several Muslims who I've spoken to said that this particular ban on the hijab has triggered a fresh wave of harassment for them, a growing dread and a sense of further alienation and this deep discrimination that they feel has been building up for several years. So it sounds like this current issue of of girls not being allowed to wear the hijab in schools is maybe the latest in what seems to be a bit of a a pattern here. I want to ask you about some other things that have been happening in the country, starting with something called Love Jihad. What is that? So Love Jihad is essentially a conspiracy theory, uh, which many Hindus believe to be true. And they say that this is a way of uh, Muslims to marry Hindu women and convert them to Islam, in effect trying to increase their numbers. This comes from a theory that they believe that Hindus um, are actually in danger from a growing Muslim population. So they fear that love jihad is something that, that is really an attack on the Hindu community. 
So we see several fundamentalists, Hindu fundamentalists, actually trying to create uh, more and more awareness, as they call it, among Hindu families to not allow their daughters to actually marry men of Muslim faith. Essentially, the government actually has formalized this uh, without actually using the words love jihad, but they call it the anti-conversion bill, which in fact went into effect uh, in Uttar Pradesh um, a year and a half ago, created a huge conflict. Which is a state in, in kind of northern part of the India. Yeah. That's right. And um, what immediately followed was uh, mass arrests of Muslim men who were thrown into jail on um, suspicion of trying to marry Hindu women and converting them to Islam. And this was actually in many of the cases they were they had to be released due to lack of ed- evidence. And uh, as it was uh, uh, later, um, fa- you know, found out on investigations, uh, etc., that in fact many of these women were actually. Uh, marrying out of love and uh, and the decision to convert or not was their personal choice. So this this bill then, this kind of anti-conversion bill, as you say, is the way that it's being talked about. This is essentially against interfaith marriages then of a, someone who is Muslim marrying someone who, who is Hindu? That's right. Yes. If you want a legally um, recognized marriage, you either convert uh, and get married through the Hindu Religious um, Act uh, so it could be of any faith, uh, one of them converting to the other religion. Uh, otherwise, if you don't want to convert, you'll have to go through the Special Marriage Act. And a Special Marriage Act stipulates that you absolutely have to put your personal details on paper. Uh, it has to be stuck on the wall in at the district administration office. And anyone who objects to this marriage has a month to actually uh, come up and register their complaint. That in fact, I had spoken to many couples who had faced terrible, terrible harassment under this law. Um, and uh, many of most of them belonged to lower income groups. Uh, they had no resources of their own of their own. They had to, in fact, seek legal protection from the government who put them in uh, safe uh, houses till the time they could actually get married. Uh, and uh, because they were certainly under great uh, danger from their own families uh, of both Hindu and Muslim faith. And your numbers and your photos and things like that are on, uh, you know, all over the internet because there are always uh, religious fundamentalists, you know, doing the rounds of these um, offices, taking, taking photographs, putting them on the internet and a lot of couples do get harassed this way. So they, they do prefer to convert and, you know, just get done with it without that kind of harassment coming their way. So there really does seem to be a pattern of, of Muslims being targeted in India in recent years in particular, so much so that the group Genocide Watch has raised concerns over the treatment of Muslims in India. And uh, earlier this year, Genocide Watch said that they're, they're now seeing the early signs of genocide. What do they cite as reasons for this concern? That's right. Many experts have raised concerns in India as well that this could be the beginning of something horrific. Um, Certainly, as I have detailed, many policies have worked to drive out or alienate one religious minority, um, such as, you know, the Citizen Amendment Act. Uh, You know, there has been hate speech, incitement against Muslims has been on the rise. Uh, There are increasing reports of critics of the government being slapped with charges of sedition, uh, radical Hindus 
um, have said that they believe they are in danger of being uh, outnumbered by Muslims. Uh, so absolutely Muslims and activists, experts do believe that these fears are real. But it is really hard to predict anything with certainty at the moment. What we see right now, like you said, is a pattern. You mentioned something called the Citizenship Amendment Act. Can you explain what that is? So the Citizen Amendment Act uh, passed in 2019 uh, was a hugely controversial move by the government to actually offer and fast-track citizenship for many persecuted religious minorities. Uh, but this was not extended to Muslim citizens, which essentially meant that scores of Muslims, um, especially in the states of you know, Assam and Bengal, who um, had come over from Bangladesh, wouldn't be able to live in India any longer because they wouldn't be able to get citizenship because most of them had no documentation. Um, so... Uh, this was seen as a way to actually um, drive out uh, many Muslims, especially from the uh, lower economic category. It seems like this discrimination has, has even reached Bollywood as well. What can you tell us about what's going on there? What, what is most surprising about, uh, you know, the conflicts that have been happening in the last uh, several years is the fact that the backlash against Bollywood, uh, India's Hindi film industry, uh, which has for long been one of the most secular spaces in the country, um, has, has uh, you know, deepened. In fact, one of the biggest superstars of Bollywood, Shah Rukh Khan, um, his son, Aryan, um, and, and this is a Muslim family, one of the best known in the country and across the world, uh, was arrested off a ship while he was at a party and he was suspected to be carrying drugs. He was in jail for about a month. And um, later, the Narcotics Bureau actually found no evidence to keep him in there any longer. So this was essentially seen as yet another way to harass a Muslim superstar who hadn't actually towed the line of the government so far. These are the movie stars, right? So this is, if I guess, once, once this reaches that level, you, this is really pervasive throughout society then. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, recently a film uh, called Kashmir Files uh, became a blockbuster and uh, what critics are saying is that um, while it details the very bloody exodus of uh, Hindu Kashmiris from Kashmir in the 80s, 90s, uh, it actually paints all Muslims as evil, even though the exodus was, of course, orchestrated by a Muslim fundamentalists, terrorists. Uh, but at the same time, uh, people are seeing this uh, through this entire prejudice that has been created against all Muslims. I guess to bring it back to Aisha, what's next for her here? If, if the Supreme Court does rule against them again, what happens to her education? They are just holding out hope for a way to get back into the classroom because as many of them say, uh, the reason that they are actually pursuing an education, which many of them don't actually get a chance to, uh, is, is because they are allowed to wear a hijab. But she definitely fears she won't be able to go back to school if she isn't allowed to wear a 
hijab it's it's very hard to say if this is going to be a moment of reckoning for the muslim community to actually reconsider uh letting uh, their girls go back to school without the hijab uh but from what they tell me it, it's certainly going to keep a lot of girls out of school and put their education and future in peril Naya thank you so much for taking the time to help us understand this Thank you so much it's a pleasure That's it for today I'm Maynika Ramen Wilms Rose Danen is our intern. Michal Stein edited this episode. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>